fuck you, you can't even sing. Yeah, just sing or something, get some pussy. Ooh, baby, I like it, bro. Yeah, baby, I like it, bro. Shimmy yeah, shimmy yeah Give me the mic so I can take her away Off on the natural charge, bomb for yards Yeah, from the home of the Dodger Brooklyn squad yeah, I think it would be dangerous to assume that Alan Dershowitz is an atypical example. Uh, or an example of somebody who uh, has learned all the wrong lessons uh, from a long and illustrious career in a lot. I think it's better to say that Alan Dershowitz represents the platonic uh, ideal. <laughs> yeah in many respects of a lawyer, both in his, you know, kind of rank elitism all the way down to the fact that he, you know, strangely uh, isn't stupid or wasn't always stupid, right? Like he has some intellectual chops. Right. Uh, and none of that is tethered to or moored to uh, anything uh, that you might consider a moral center, right? I mean, the man seems to be completely... Uh, without any kind of uh, ethical or moral uh, uh, anchor uh, to any of his actions. So in, in, a, in a sense, like he's the perfect distillation of every episode we've done uh, up till now, in my view, uh, about the legal profession. I, I think we've all been kind of leading to this. Right. Yeah, I was thinking that, too, that like w- if we want to discuss the concept of lawyer brain, we never could have started with Dershowitz because he's like a tumor at the center of the lawyer brain. You know, he's, he's so central to it that you really got to build up the concept uh, all around him before yeah. you can even discuss him. You know, you take a little bit of Ian Samuel, a little bit of Brett Kavanaugh, a little bit of Ty Beard, you know, uh, you throw them all together, you get kind of one of these uh, end bosses, or at least a mini boss, I right. think. For sure. Legal profession. I mean, I mean we, we, we've jokingly used the phrase a lot about lion of the bar, but, but Dershowitz is a legitimate lion of the yeah. bar. He, he is evil, and he knows he's evil, and he might get his and soon, but he probably won't. And until this exact moment has lived with complete impunity of, of any and freedom from any consequence that he's of every evil thing that he's done. And in that way, he is the platonic ideal of a lawyer. And at the top of his game, he was extremely good at this. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we have to give him that. But you see him now uh, kind of unraveling, right? I mean, that's why we're, that's why we're talking about <laughs> Not an know. impressive, imposing figure on The View. No, uh, nor on nor on Twitter, no. where we encounter him. Um, and it seems as though you know a kind of lifetime of impunity, you know, a kind of lifetime of freedom of of uh, uh, freedom from rather consequence uh, is starting to catch up to him, as as Tim was saying, right? And and I think, you know, he now finds himself in a very uncomfortable position, right? Where he's sort of, his his actions are being, you know, scrutinized. Mm-hmm. He's sort of being uh, tried in the court of public opinion and his spasms, you know, his paroxysms of of uh, uh, flailings, you know, are, are, are getting increasingly hysterical. Yeah. And there's all sorts um, of speculation about his sex life and, you know, he's mm-hmm. he feels he has to respond to all that and it's, he's in a terrible position. That He'll take any interview. I, I watched so many hours of Dershowitz footage over the last week, just just uh, you know, just trying to see his recent interviews and stuff. And he, I mean, he'll take interviews with local news guys. Like I saw one local news guy just absolutely di- dismantle and take him apart. And it's just like some Kansas station or something. And he's like, yeah, I'll take the call, absolutely, honey. I'm going upstairs. <laughs>
You're listening to A-Lab. My name is Tarek, and in this episode, Andy, Tim, and I do battle with the final boss of the legal profession, the greatest lawyer of all time. That's right, Mr. Alan Dershowitz. I think one thing that's important to note, though, is that Alan Dershowitz absolutely believes that trying somebody in the court of the public opinion uh, is wrong. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's like the central thesis of so many of these interviews that he gives. Every time I see him talking about, you know, he wrote this book recently, this book about Me Too. I mean, it's supposed the cover says it's about Me Too. When you read it, it's just about how uh, Virginia Jufri <laughs> is very it's old yeah, exactly. about calling her a liar. <laughs> But when he discusses the book, he pretends that he's actually written a book about the Me Too movement, and his thoughts on it are all just like, where's the due process? You know, like, I I think that anybody who's had, who's suffered, you know, sexual assault or sexual misconduct, you know, I'm in your corner. But we we did we have to have due process here, and you can't just try people in the court of public opinion. He says it again and again and again. But the thing is, this guy invented the fucking game of trying people in the court of public opinion. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think a, a, an important caveat to Dersh's anti-Me Too and, you know, anti-cancel culture uh, reinvention uh, of the last few years, uh, the, the important caveat is it's bad when, when, the, when the subject of said cancellation is, is Alan Dershowitz, yeah. right? When it's uh, somebody who pissed him off in a radio interview, you know, let's go crazy. Right. You know, if it's, when it's somebody uh, who... When it's somebody you know, whose client raped... Uh, it's good yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. When it's somebody who credibly accuses him uh, of sexual predation, you know, borderline, yeah. if not actual pedophilia, uh, patronizing of prostitutes, uh, you know, flying on the Lolita Express, that's terrible. Yeah, we can't be judging people on that. I mean, and we can't be judging Israel either, according to Dershowitz. We can't be organizing any kind yeah. of. Uh, response with our dollar to, to, to not support the Israeli regime and their, and their apartheid. Uh, but if you're a professor that says things about that, you're fair game to get, uh, you know, culled from academic life and, and have your, your career ruined. Tenured professors, as a group, are the most cowardly and uncourageous group of people I have ever met. And you'd think with tenure, they would have something to hide behind. But they are so terrified of any student not loving them and not being writing these wonderful reviews of them that they pander incredibly. Tenure simply doesn't work on most university campuses. Professors are just terrified to speak out. When I speak on a college campus, I'll get calls when I speak about Israel, whispered calls. Oh, thank you, Alan, for speaking up. Well, why won't you speak up? Well, you know, I don't feel comfortable speaking about the subject. These are people who are supportive of Israel but are terrified about speaking up. So that's one issue. Today, to be perceived as a Zionist on an American college campus is a dirty word, and that's a horrible state of affairs. So if you're familiar with the career of Alan Dershowitz, you probably teased out the two cases we're going to be looking at here uh, primarily, which are Alan Dershowitz's campaign against Norman Finkelstein and then his his other campaign against Virginia Jufri, uh, who's a, a victim of Jeffrey Epstein. 
And these are uh, the two perfect bookend examples of this, this trait of Alan Dershowitz, which I think, Tarek, you called bullying. Yeah, he's a bully. And, you know, I think we have to admit that that is actually, you know, a positive characteristic to bring into this profession. Right. Right. Dershowitz's successes as a lawyer, uh, an advocate, frankly, uh, you know, particularly early uh, as a legal educator, et cetera, uh, bullying and being a total fucking shitbag are part of his toolkit. And, and, you know, I I think stand a lawyer in good stead. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Uh, a negative thing that's going to mess up your record and screw up your career. No, it's a required attribute brought him really far and i think a lot of clients figure out and a lot of lawyers figure out that if you can just scare somebody into not doing something you can avoid a whole lot of litigation costs like why have the judge tell something for you when you can just say it yourself and scare some yeah. you know potential uh person that's going to get money off your client yeah exactly i mean anything from contract negotiations uh, civil lawsuits uh, you know threatening letters etc you know the bully tends to do pretty well and you know, let's talk a little bit about where Dirsch came from and kind of his background, because some of this is going to sound extremely familiar to listeners of, say, <laughs> the Ian Samuel episode, the Kavanaugh episode, etc. So, so Dirsch grew up uh, uh, in Borough Park uh, in Brooklyn. He went to Brooklyn College, which, uh, to quote Finkelstein uh, in, in a quote that we, we, we will play, uh, uh, you know, it's a good college, right? But... Where you land from there at Yale Law School, you know, that's, you know, a leap, especially at that time and place uh, for for somebody uh, like Dershowitz. I think his parents uh, ran the the local uh, synagogue or something. Right. And uh, to go from Brooklyn College to Yale Law School as a a Jewish man from Borough Park uh, at that time was, you know, it was an achievement. Right. Yeah, he wasn't a legacy. Exactly. You know, <laughs> Yale's in the news now for uh, discriminating against uh, Caucasians and Asian Americans uh, on behalf of African Americans, right, uh, and others uh, in their in their admission. I have yet to see anybody bring up the fact that legacies uh, uh, tend to get <laughs> yeah. even better yeah. treatment. Yeah. Dershowitz, and you won't from anywhere but Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no. Dershowitz was not a legacy. He, he, he's a kid from Borough Park who landed himself at Yale Law School. Graduates literally number one in his class. I think, you know, unlike other people, unlike other people, I know somewhere in the past there was an intellect at work because he grew up in Borough Park on 48th Street. I grew up on 40th Street, 1583 40th Street, 16th Avenue. I know the neighborhood. I know where you grew up. You went to Brooklyn College, which was a good school, but there was quite a leap from Brooklyn College to first in the class at Yale Law School. So I know what it takes. I was three years behind Chuck Schumer at Madison. So I know what it takes. In his case, he was the son of an exterminator. And to make the leap from the son of exterminator to where he is now. And the same thing with your leap. So 
That's a long way of saying... Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. That's a long way of saying, unlike many others, I don't deny you the fact that at some point there was an intellect at work. I think at some point also the intellect was displaced by celebrityhood. That's a separate issue. Uh, he goes on then to clerk for the farm team of the Supreme Court, the District of Columbia Circuit, for a judge named uh, Bazelon. Yeah, right? yeah, Bazelon is one of my favorite judges because he is this darling of liberal process theory. Uh, you know, did a lot of stuff around administrative law and really known for for protecting the rights of people <laughs> with mental disabilities. Uh, the Durham test is 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 some jurisprudence that he started, uh, but before right. that. Uh, he was best known for being in charge of the I forget the name of the office, but it was the office in charge of expropriating all of the property from from Japanese people that were facing internment and um, <laughs> transferring it to his mafia buddies like the Kennedys and the Pritzkers, people you might names you might know and, and be familiar with. But the reason those Jesus. guys have any property today is because a lot of they serious? got serious. Yeah, 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 yeah. They made a killing off of. These properties that were transferred from from Japanese people that were that were taken to the camps, uh, and he had a Senate investigation that I think went nowhere for for reasons that should be very obvious when you're you know buddies with Al Capone and all that. And he took that and became uh, an epic liberal judge, just like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So that's who uh, Dershowitz didn't make it all the way to the to the majors, but uh, right 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 there in the minors. Is is Emily Bazelon who we see on yes. Twitter? Is that yes. like his daughter? Yes, I brought or it up. I brought it up when she was tut tutting about Gia Tolentino's parents uh, <laughs> being slaves. It's like, oh look who's, look who's rushing to the defense of that. Um, Bazelon though is also a lot of his clerks went to go work for Brennan. So so Dershowitz was really, I think, from the very beginning of his legal career, kind of, you know, I don't want to say groomed for obvious reasons, but made to be a very good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> So, so from 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 Bazelon, he goes right on to Goldberg, uh, who, who was a Supreme Court justice at the time, right? And then from there, immediately onto the Harvard Law. Yeah, as you already know, if you if you're an A-Lab listener, uh, SCOTUS clerkship, uh, especially back then, you're writing your ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so interestingly enough, as we always say, like you know, the best way to do this is just to skip the whole practice of law uh, entirely, get yourself right onto the faculty. Uh, he does that, right? Number one in his class at Yale, D.C. Circuit clerkship, SCOTUS clerkship, goes to Harvard Law School uh, right out of the SCOTUS clerkship uh, uh, to a, to a law, po- law teaching post. But here's where it gets kind of weird. Like, he actually starts practicing law then. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Unlike, you know, he, everybody's, li- you know, these guys get to this place. They're living the dream. They never actually have to sully themselves with the, with the filth uh, down in the trenches of taking discovery, depositions, you know, uh, entering into a, you know, one of those uh, squalid courtrooms. But, but you know, kudos to him. Uh, he actually practices law on the side, uh, I think, for the entirety of his time at, at Harvard. Yeah, his story about that is that, maybe I'm not going to phrase this right. Uh, so his his story about that time is that he takes a mix of uh, poor clients who need his assistance, you know, um, black kids in uh, South Carolina who are sentenced to death in, in, in the movie about Klaus von Bülow's uh, uh, attempted murder <laughs> trial. This These kids come up like 50 times in the movie. Uh, they never show up and they're never freed or anything, unlike Klaus von Bülow, the rich guy he represents. Um but he's always referencing back to them, and he tells Klaus von Bülow that uh, you have to pay because my other clients don't pay, and your right. fee 
pays for their case. I mean, he's a professor, gotcha. so like he could take them all for free. So nobody's paying <laughs> him for anything. But... <laughs> yeah, but we all just know that he's a little freak who loves getting off on you know bullying people and and getting to be right. So that's the that's the actual reason he does it. Right. So and his money story, and so lots of money. So, too, I'm sure. So my point about it was that the story, his story about the time, his story about his practice at law school is that it sort of, um, it had these two tracks, you know, where it was like the needy that he would represent, uh, and then there were the celebrity cases, and the, and the celebrity cases, uh, his story about it, the way what he wants to represent about himself is that they paid for all of the other cases that he took on. Right. But I think what really happened is that the celebrity cases, uh, you know, basically underwrote uh, his ability to, to go out and. You know, opine on things he had no business opining on. Yeah. And, uh, essentially, to rise to the top as a as a legal celebrity, uh, and you know, I I think I, I'm not sure. Like, were there celebrity lawyers? Uh, I, I think he was. You know, I think he's one of the big ones. And I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to uh, think. Yeah. You know, Cochran and you know yeah. those guys. I mean, but they are all creatures of the OJ trial. I mean, right. Dershowitz had established himself as a, you know, like he, you know, as part of his self-mythologizing, you know, I represented the Nazis and their right to, to march in Skokie, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like he, he seems to have reveled in the, in the, in the, in, in these cases that were not so much maybe champion unpo- championing unpopular causes so much as, uh, you know, serving to lionize Dershowitz himself. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's, and that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting, uh, angle to view him from because if you talk to him about the cases he takes if you look at his books and the forwards he writes about his you know legal life and stuff he'll say that uh i'm no i'm no coward i will take on unpopular positions you know just because i think it's right uh and and he and he does lionize himself in describing this but i think Mm -hmm. that I think that a motivation that explains a little bit better Dershowitz's behavior, <laughs> and that explains certainly, uh, you know, the through line in the later behavior that we see in his later years, is that he was just self-aggrandizing. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, you can see it with the Trump stuff. Um, that you know, he's you can look at it at one lens that he's preserving executive power or whatever, or you can look at it from that lens and see that Trump loves people that cozy up to him. And so by making these bombastic statements in the media and being very publicly shown as a as a Trump supporter, uh, you know, he can get farther in that world. Not to mention, obviously, his prior associations with Trump. Well, it gets a, it keeps a camera in his face, and I got to tell you, his face is looking increasingly increasingly. <laughs> yeah, bad, he's so. becoming a haggard old skeleton. <laughs> it's getting a little droopy. Yeah, yeah. and this yeah, is also it, the the time when everybody's on Zoom calls and stuff for CNN. So it's like, yeah. You know, you see him in his his weird house with his fucking haunted picture wall, just like the goddamn yeah, the, un- the most unfortunate angles. He yeah, can conjure right, up. right. Yeah. That like not... diagonal wall behind. Yeah, him it looks weird. like an M.C. Asher painting or something. Right. So I I think you could take any sort of moment in his career and probably you know to to base a psychoanalysis off of Dershowitz's you know sort of camera loving bully. Uh, but there's one episode in particular that I think really kind of uh, runs a good parallel to the to the stuff we're going to talk about later uh, with respect to the Jufre case he's gotten himself mixed up in. Um, and that is uh, his his campaign, sadly successful campaign to destroy Norman Finkelstein's uh, academic career. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and in, in both of them, you'll see, I mean, this is, a, this is an incredibly aggressive person who will not let the, even the smallest 
slight go unpassed, right? Uh, he's willing to say or do whatever needs to be said, understanding that process is only there as kind of window dressing. Uh, and that as long as you keep the fire hose of abuse pointed at people, uh, you keep them in a position of, of defending themselves. Uh, and it tends to keep the heat uh, off of you. And I think that that's, you know, a classic kind of Dershowitz. Right. Uh, Absolutely. It's something we see through every single case that we talk about. We're going to see in the Finkelstein, yeah. you'll see in Jufri, and you'll see in every other case. And and you'll see it also that, like, he doesn't even need to be right. All he needs to do is just scare people enough into going along with, with what needs to happen, and, and, you know, he'll be fine with that. And so by becoming the kind of least cost route to getting things, you know, to stopping all this... He can yep. get a lot of people to go along against you for for whatever thing. So uh, Norman Finkelstein, uh, I'm not, I wasn't, uh, I'm not, I, I'm not an expert in, in in his work, but yeah, he's a he's a prominent Jewish thinker and and former academic uh, and 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 harsh critic of Israel, even though his parents are both uh, uh, Holocaust survivors. Right, he lost his entire family in the Holocaust, uh, other than his two parents. Uh, he's written, you know, multiple works, uh, sort of, sort of seminal works, uh, critical of, of Israel in particular, and of, mm-hmm. you know, what he's labeled the kind of what the Holocaust sympathy industry. Uh, yeah, the new you know, anti-Semitism, just discussing yeah. how how uh, his view that that Jewish suffering and Jewish pain has been weaponized by people for causes yeah. that have nothing to do with it. He's one of those people that inexplicably has a lot of videos of them speaking at colleges and owning, you know, people uh, from yeah. a from a good left perspective. But, you know, he's he's of that milieu kind of the especially for like the early 2000s kind of, you know, probably I, I would imagine around the Intifada kind of yeah. people who came out of that. So uh, by the time, you know, like, so we're talking like 2003, right? Finkelstein is on the tenure track at DePaul yeah. University. You know, respectable university, no Harvard, but, you know, he's, he's holding his own. Mm-hmm. Um, he's chummy with uh, Chomsky and, and that whole kind of academic yeah, left exactly. crew. Um, Dershowitz, however, you know, uh, riding high off of his various uh, brushes with fame, etc., does what every good lawyer does, which is get way out over their skis <laughs> uh, and start start writing shit they have no bit like. I mean, okay, you're a civil libertarian, a criminal lawyer. All right. what, what what do you do now? How about a long book length apologia for the state of Israel? All right. Uh, right. So 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 so. Right. There are so there are academics who specialize in this specifically, but Dershowitz is like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. So Dershowitz writes this book, A Case for Israel. It becomes a big bestseller. You know, obviously this is right in the in the Finkelstein wheelhouse. Yeah, Finkelstein is somebody who's an expert on this. <laughs> yeah, right. writes books about this for a living. Finkel, Finkelstein reads it and starts to sort of leverage certain critiques of it, you know, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, right? Dershowitz, in the meanwhile, is on the publicity tour for his book and, you know, sort of getting some of these critiques thrown back at him. And I think on Hardball or, you know, what was it? I think it was Scarborough Country, right? Uh, blurts out a challenge to some guy who was uh, annoying him on, on, on one of these talk shows that he'll give $10,000 to the PLO. Uh, if you can, if you can uh, uh, find one false statement of fact in this entire uh, book that he's written, uh, a case for <laughs> yeah. Israel. You could see, I mean, you can see how most people would react, like, "Oh, he must be, really know his stuff if he's making that kind of a challenge." Finkelstein, meanwhile, uh, and he has a very good line about this. Uh, there's a book I gathered written by someone named Joan Peters called "From Time Immemorial." 
which which Finkelstein has done a, an epic critique of previously as sort of the guy who discredited that work entirely. His thesis was was based off. So that's I think how he got his PhD. Yeah. yeah. So that's like I mean a major part of his academic work was from you know critiquing this book from time immemorial. And so when he starts reading uh on Israel he notices some similarities between the two works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. so I, I don't know that this will be relevant. You can cut this if it's not. But but like one of the central arguments that goes on here is that uh, you know the Palestinians obviously are saying that like you just took our land, and one right. of the things that um, is shot back by um, you know Jewish defenders of Israel will say that like we've made this land into what it is. It's not what we took from yeah. you. We took this barren land that you weren't maintaining. Nobody was living there. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. Nobody's living yeah. there, or, or or even if you had. Even if people were living there, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't the yeah, land of milk and honey. They point to Tel Aviv and their their burger shops called like Funky Time, and, and they say this is what we turned, you know, Judea and Samaria into. Yeah. So so like so when we got here, you know, or you know what you say we took from you was a barren wasteland that we have now, you know, sown and reaped and turned into you know a paradise. And what you're asking for back from us is is the fruit of our labor. Mm-hmm. In addition, and, they, they you know they used kind of historical revanchist claims, be like, oh, we were here, you know, the Maccabees, and you know, you, you know, they they look at the Jewish population that had lived there, you know, in the Middle East the whole time, and and kind of link. You know, Ashkenazi Jewish culture. To well, this to is that. this is so, what Joan Peters' title uh, from Time Immemorial right. is referring to. Yeah, that they've been there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you know, Finkelstein uh, begins to say, you know, not only is uh, Dershowitz's book a fraud, uh, that these claims that these were sort of uninhabited, barbarous lands, uh, that you know were. were you know, sort of taken off the hands of these, you know, shiftless, you know, like a handful of Arabs uh, that were living there and, and, and turned into, you know, sort of this bucolic wonderland. Uh, you know, not only is this claim itself fraudulent, but I've read this claim before in t- from in time immemorial. Right. And you have lifted uh, this, uh, in, you know, huge sections of your book, Dershowitz, A Case for Israel, from Peters. Right. Having spent a significant amount of time analyzing Peter's book, he was very prepared when he read Dershowitz's mm-hmm. book to recognize everything in the, that was in the footnotes. And, and it is funny to, to, to going back on your earlier point about uh, Dershowitz taking any and all interview opportunities they met on Democracy Fucking Now in 2006 or whatever to go yeah, and discuss. 2003. Like, September 2003. They go. That is hutzpah for somebody like him to go on <laughs> Democracy Now. <laughs> So yeah, the Dershowitz agrees to appear on Democracy Now with uh, Finkelstein, who uh, within the first minute or so, Dershowitz makes clear he has no idea who Finkelstein is. Like you know, I guess he knows that Finkelstein has been raising these claims that there's plagiarism or other other uh, academic fraud going on in the book. But he's like, I thought I was going to debate somebody else, and now you're sitting here. I don't even know who you are. And um, Finkelstein proceeds to demolish him. For one hour of public radio. Yeah. Um, it's devastating. Now, I will say this. I, I don't love to be fair to <laughs> Dershowitz. Yeah. But if Finkelstein, because I got to tell you, that guy is whiny. He's <laughs> they're, they're two imp- sides of the same coin. <laughs> yeah, sure. he's, imp- he's implacable. Yeah. He is, uh, you know, 
confrontational to uh, to a, to a, to a, to the end. He is degree. a perfect asshole in the way that that Dershowitz <laughs> yeah. is a perfect bully. Finkelstein yeah. isn't really a bully. He's just a massive ass. I mean, you you can say this is a different clip, uh, but one of those yeah. owning students clips is like some Jewish girl crying about her Holocaust surviving parents, and he's just like, "How dare you cry those <laughs> crocodile tears?" And like the whole audience, like, and he's right. Like, obviously, like I get what he's saying, but it's like. You are just a massive asshole, buddy. During your speech, you made a lot of references to Jewish people as well as certain people in your audience, not Jewish people in general, but certain people, especially in your audience, to Nazis. Now, that is extremely offensive when certain people are German. And they're also extremely offensive to people who've actually suffered under Nazi rule. I don't respect that anymore. I really don't. I don't like and I don't respect the crocodile tears to con- to the crocodile tears. No, I'm uh, so, folks. Um, allow me to finish, and allow me to te- allow me to finish. Listen, sir. Allow me to finish. Allow me to finish. Uh, sir, sir. I don't like to play. I don't like to play before an audience the Holocaust card. But since now I feel com- now I feel compelled to, my late father was in Auschwitz. My late mother, please shut up. My late father was in Auschwitz. My late mother was in Maidana concentration camp. Every single member of my family on both sides was exterminated. Both of my parents were in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And it's precisely and exactly because of the lessons my parents taught me and my two siblings that I will not be silent when Israel commits its crimes against the Palestinians. And I consider nothing more despicable than to use their suffering and their martyrdom to try to justify the torture, the brutalization, the dem- demolition of homes that Israel daily commits against the Palestinians. So I refuse any longer to be intimidated or browbeaten by the tears. If you had any heart in you, you would be crying for the Palestinians, not for what well, one clip, one clip uh, that is relevant is uh, on the Democracy Now interview. It's pretty, it's pretty early, and you know, uh, Dershowitz opens up with this kind of uh, what he pretends is like trying to set the ground rules for the debate, but it actually uh, contains, you know, embedded smears against Finkelstein right. by saying that, uh, listen, I hope that we can have, you know, not an ad hominem, I hope that we can have a, a reasonable debate here where we see the points that we agree and the points that we disagree and we can have a civil discussion. And then Finkelstein just like, you know, he takes the bait right out. He says, uh, listen, I'm not going to make any ad hominem attacks. This is a fraud and a plagiarism. That's a, That's an <laughs> academic <laughs> statement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's either true or it's false. Yeah. And let's discuss whether or not those <laughs> those claims are true or false. And then Dershowitz, you know, I have to say, like again, I, I like he he pulls every trick he's got, 
right? Like he just uh, so you know does a long soliloquies tour de force. Yeah, just filibustering an argument. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He, you know. Uh, like he'll get caught in these sort of you know obvious misstatements or you know, mi- yeah. you know and, factual and try to inaccuracies. Use sophistry to to say that yeah. he wasn't actually no, doing but, that, even though. But the point I was making, is- I would not have. I would. I can't be you know misstating the number down because I, it's in my interest to state it up. So when you, if you say I'm off by seven hundred thousand people here, uh, obviously it's a mistake because if I was trying to be a fraud, I would. Blah, 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 you know, it, it's 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 pathetic. Finkelstein right. gets four. He, he gets like he gets like two syllables into the word plagiarism, and Dershowitz threatens to sue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just understand it. And threatens yeah, to like, sue like, him for five unsustained minutes of talking to to try and avoid yeah. Finkelstein from actually talking about the the yeah. the lifted sources. No, but that, that's within that's within the first few minutes. Dershowitz is already threatening to sue him, right? But I mean, you know, I will say this as well. You know, I, I don't know that I agree necessarily. I, I'm not an expert in this shit. I'm not an academic. Yeah. Um, Finkelstein says he plagiarizes the book, right? Uh, I think what Dershowitz does is that he read Joan Peters and lifted huge chunks of Joan Peters secondary sources and reproduced them in his own. Right. right, which is what we in the legal profession yeah. call writing a brief on a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, yes, like, yeah. yes, but in academic work, right. there's a different that's, standard. Yeah, I think that's that's really pointing to uh, Dershowitz being in over his head and trying to become an academic on this topic yeah. that he's not an expert on. So, so the kinds of things Finkelstein catches him is he's using the same exact quotes from Mark Twain. Yeah, like Mark Twain visited Palestine... Uh, back in the 1800s, and he has a description of it. And then Joan Peters and then later Dirsch uh, decide that this is the perfect evidence. Look at this. This is a famous quote from a guy that's, in, you know, it's, it's ensconced in his work and it can't have been gone back and changed, and he's describing it as a wasteland. So the same exact quote from Twain appears in both works. Um, it has the ellipses, you know, where there's omitted material in the same exact place. It's literally the same length, uh, excerpted the same way, uh, using the same footnotes in pretty much the same order. There are places where uh, Dershowitz uh, cites to a newer edition of a book that Peter cites, but uses Peter's page number, even though the page numbering is di- completely different from the you two. You never want that. That's yeah. a bummer. No, it's it's very damning. <laughs> <laughs> Dershowitz uh, takes a Peters. Peters apparently had gone to to Orwell as all great thinkers. This is so good. I yeah. love this one. <laughs> Peters goes to Orwell, uh, and you know his Newspeak thing from 1984. You know, again, classic Reddit behavior, uh, citing that, and um, takes takes Newspeak, and she coins this term Turnspeak, which I guess means I don't even know. But Dershowitz is so busy sort of just pulling all her secondary sources out, he lifts Turnspeak from her and attributes it to uh, Orwell. The Orwell. Right. He says yeah. that the Orwell term is Turnspeak. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> you, not only did you not read her book very closely, you didn't you read did Orwell. Orwell. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... Is is Finkelstein a little bit out ahead of himself, calling it you know, rank plagiarism? 
I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe... I, I, it's probably you know it matters more to academia in the sense that he didn't like. It, what's clear is that it wasn't a fully fleshed out, thought out kind of piece of academic work, which I would imagine, you know, academics probably do pride themselves on on, on kind of originality and synthesis, whereas this was very obviously just a play to get him, you know, again, it's it's to boost his standing in, in pro-Israel circles and, and probably yeah. to boost an issue that he cares about. You know, ideologically, and so you know, well, he, I'm willing he cut to say that on, it, on that, it absolutely is plagiarism. And, I, and I'm, so, so I'll tell you what: if you're a pre-law student and somebody's saying this podcast, and you're listening to it because you're thinking about going to law school, I'll tell you what: why don't you take these tactics for your next paper? Okay, I want you. To, I want you to, <laughs> and if you're not willing to do it, or if you do do it and you get an F, let us know. Uh, if you're not willing to do it, then I think we know the answer here. This is this is absolutely un- academically unacceptable. You're never going to get. Well, I'll say I, I will say this. I think it's academic fraud, whether or not it's technical, sort of you know, yeah, that's, uh, that by the that. book statutory <laughs> plagiarism. <laughs> I'm not quite well, sure. Well, fairness right. to Finkelstein, uh, but, he called it a fraud and plagiarism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Finkelstein may have been turning up the heat a little bit uh, beyond what he should have if he was being properly judicious. But as we'll see, you know, Finkelstein is pretty implacable uh, as an enemy himself. But I will say also one more thing in Alan Dershowitz's defense. Uh, maybe it is academic fraud in some sense. But in fairness to Alan Dershowitz, he's only a law professor. <laughs> yeah, he's not a real academic. <laughs> I mean, he's not expected to do real scholarship, is he? Um, right, right. So, you know, who, who, who knows? You know, we can have reasonable okay, arguments let's get about a response this, but let's stay from... away from the ad hominems and get to the merits I, of the case. You know, uh, Professor Dershowitz, I'm not a professor at Harvard, but I you do seem te- to resent that I do, te- but I do, I do teach elsewhere, mm-hmm. and when we discuss issues like falsifying information, plagiarizing, lifting whole cloth from other books. I've never heard that called ad hominem. For a serious scholar and a serious academic, those are very fundamental issues. But when they're false, so, they're uh, Okay, hominem. no, yeah. if, they're, if they're false, then you dispute them. That's but to doing. characterize them as ad hominem seems really out of court for a professor. No, they so are that's, at that's, that's, You said sir, I don't deserve sir, to teach I at compo- Harvard. That I, sounds no. pretty ad hominem. Okay. Professor Dershowitz, you asked, you raised that issue. I'll try to address it, and then we're returning to the substantive issues of your book. First, tell me why I should teach you I'm going at to refer to that. Okay. <laughs> On page 207 of your book, you say that to deliberately misinform, miseducate, and misdirect that's students. Right is a particularly nasty form of educational malpractice. Of which I accuse. Now, Noam I consider I consider friend. what you have done in the book to be a paradigmatic, a quintessential example of misinforming, miseducating, and misdirecting. So you go write, on let, allow article, me to finish write an article. Let no, allow me to finish, Mr. Dershowitz. Mm-hmm. I've been very respectful of your time. On page two hundred thirteen you discussed the Holocaust fraud by Robert Forison, and you write, quote, there was no extensive historical research referring to his book. That's right. Instead, there was the fraudulent manufacturing of false 
anti-history. That's right. And Chomsky was, wrote, as you know, it was the cut. Please don't bring in Mr. Chomsky. He can defend himself. Mm -hmm. We're talking about you and your book. Mm -hmm. It was the kind of deception referring to Forison's book. Now let me quote clearly: right. "For which professors are rightly fired." I stand by Not that, because their yeah. views are controversial, and let me underline this again, but because mm -hmm. they are violating the most basic canons of historical scholarship. Well, let me respond to that. Now, if no, you can compare me to Forsan, if you can compare Forsan made up a I'm referring story to that your the Holocaust standards. didn't occur. I'm referring right. to your you standards. I have no interest in Forsan now. I'm talking about your standards Absolutely. to miseducate, misinform, and misdirect to violate the standards of historical scholarship are grounds for expulsion. Absolutely. So it's and not an ad hominem argument. It's using your standard. All right. So the, the Democracy Now! interview is a disaster for Dershowitz. I mean, I, 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 the comments on this thing in, on YouTube and other places, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks Dershowitz acquitted himself very well, uh, uh, even even if even if they are, you know, tend to agree with Dershowitz's positions. It didn't go well. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, my, my memories of this are vague from the time, but I, I mean, I think it got at least enough into, like, people who were on like the blogosphere and that you know that no absolutely it, it, it made the rounds there i don't think it made you know actual news like everyone was a psychopathic anti-muslim you know patriot at that time but certainly with the people that were kind of resisting that in some vague fashion they they knew about it because i mean democracy now was like their uh joy Reid or whatever you know for for people who were in that set yeah. and so they if they didn't see it there they definitely heard about it on some blog or something like that, or you know, some campus. Well, and, and no, and 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 you know, we've all it was these were the forum days or whatever. You yeah. Know, but I mean, we've all everybody loves a good fucking slap. Yeah, exactly. Right? And this yeah. was like a massive. <laughs> Not the least of which on the internet. Fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, and it, Finkelstein hands him his ass. He yeah. fucking hands him his ass. Embarrassed right. in real time and like the most you know uh, uh, uncompromising terms in real time. Like as as you know. Dershowitz fails to produce an answer and is just completely caught right-handed. And the rest so of this story is what happens when you hand Dershowitz his ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> By Dershowitz's own telling, he then goes to Elena Kagan, who is at the time the dean of Harvard Law School. And she commissions Derek Bach, who I think is no longer at the school or is in some senior status or something, to do an investigation of these plagiarists. Derek Bach, strangely enough, uh, exonerates Dershowitz in the formal plagiarism investigation. Ah, that is so strange. Yeah, weird. Uh, <laughs> I think in large part on some of the basic things we're saying. Is it plagiarism for me to use the same sources as as uh, as, uh, as 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 Joan Peters? <laughs> no, you know uh, we do. So we both love the Twain quote. Is the Twain quote quote accurate? Did I cite Twain? Yes. Okay. Case closed. Right. Finkelstein, though, I think you know, and again. If we talk about them a little bit on the as sides of a coin, uh, okay, trying to be slightly fair to Dershowitz, Finkelstein, obviously, as the up and comer, tenure track guy versus Harvard, you know, Harvard chair guy, right? Uh, has a know, fraction of the celebrity that 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 yeah. uh, he had from the OJ campaign, the trial. He 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 sees his moment and writes a book, ostensibly about Israel scholarship, but called. <laughs> Beyond chutzpah, 
which is a titular reference to Dersh's autobi- autobiography, autohagiography, really, chutzpah, right? Um, and <laughs> is, you know, while sort of disguising itself as a general critique of Israel, uh, apologia is really just an absolute broadside against, against Dershowitz. Right, it's um, essentially titled, Fuck You, Alan Dershowitz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Dershowitz takes that book well. <laughs> goes on a campaign you know calling it full of defamatory lies uh he threatens to sue ucal press he writes a letter to arnold schwarzenegger uh who's then the governor of california right he's trying to call uh, the tr- manager of california basically to- <laughs> <laughs> <Like> <laughs> ultimate carrot move calls calls uc ucal press's boss on them and schwarzenegger to his credit doesn't even write back has one of his assistants write back saying uh, the, the legal affairs secretary write back saying uh, that the governor is not inclined to right. otherwise exert influence in this <laughs> case because of the clear academic freedom issue it presents right so yeah. bully for arnold imagine the constant bowls of shit you gotta eat as the governor of california and then somebody brings <laughs> you this fucking wine right because everyone thinks that the powerful and then yeah this just dershowitz has no relationship to schwarzenegger and it basically asks him to just like on what clout and his will alone trammel academic freedom to death yeah i'd love to add this to my day absolutely dersh ultimately writes uh, a a whole chapter about finkelstein in his next book uh, and then goes to the links of publishing it on the harvard law school website it's still archived if you're if you're interested um and uh you know, it's interesting that this is even an excerpt from a book if you read it because it's really a paste pin. Yeah, it's a blog post. Like it, it really is more the early, like because it's an early two thousand or mid two thousands blog post. Like right. just weirdly so, personal, dressed up as as uh, a political fight as it is still today. But yeah, I was going to say that for, sounds very familiar. <laughs> but go. But the difference is that this goes on for about you know twelve hundred, fifteen hundred words instead. So like it, it sort of starts off. You know, talking about how uh, you know how awful Finkelstein is for going ad hom, and then kind of pivoting right into. By the way, uh, Norman Finkelstein's mother was a Nazi collaborator. Yeah. Literally shit, calls her a, 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 a cop. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is like, fucking. I mean, that's the nuke. Okay, that is the yeah, fucking. Nuke. That is a, about the worst thing you could do to somebody. Somebody whose entire family, except for his parents, died in the Holocaust. And then one of the only two people that did survive, you say, his mother, uh, she was a capo. Well, but not only that, like, his dad was in Auschwitz and his mom was in Lady Auschwitz, right? Like, which is apparently, by some of the telling, even worse than Auschwitz. So, like, right. both of his parents were directly in the camps. And he was taking some of Finkelstein's reflections about what it must take to survive. This and whether, so you know, like if you hear Finkelstein talk about it, he said he would always see his mother like, you know, shoving her way to the front of the line for the locks at Zabar's, you know, and like, why is she so, you know, not genteel about these things in the way she goes about it? And, you know, realizing that, you know, she came out of a place where if you sort of meekly waited your turn uh, for the food, you might not get any food. Yeah, they threw three vegetables into the vat of soup that they made, and if you're not yeah. there at the front, you're not getting anything. You're getting water. Yeah. Uh, pointedly, though, uh, at no point does he say that she she collaborated with a Nazi regime in order to secure herself a more secure position uh, in any no. in a camp or anywhere else. 
And in fact, no. actually goes on to say how much she hated the Capos because, uh, you know, she because like, she knew what she had to do to survive, but that they crossed even those lines. Like she felt that they were, you know, lower than dogs in part of that <laughs> recollection. Which is pretty strong evidence. She and she's echoing. I mean, she's echoing. You know, people like Prima Levi. You know, in this notion yeah. that the delicate and refined didn't survive, right? Like there was no room for delic- delicacy or refinement. You know, the summary and, here is: it's an incredibly shocking thing to allege with zero proof, and it's just meant to yeah. be a personal, the nastiest smear he could possibly think of. Right, Ins- insinuated again with just this level of sophistry, like that he had doubts the. You know, that's what Dershowitz basically says. And then, you know, he has allies. Um, this Richard Silverstein blogged about it, talking about how Stephen Plout uh, then yeah. launders Dershowitz's allegations into saying that they were revelations of, of Norman Finkelstein's mom being a, a capo. So you can see yeah. the dirty trick. These, you know, he, he just plants the barest seed of doubt and then other people can come in and then just make that claim for him. You know, again, this is all sort of early aughts. And this is this is very much kind of the the in vogue way to do things back. Like you take like the guy's one thing, you know, John Kerry war hero, John Kerry war coward, you know, Uh, you know, you take sort of the one thing the guy's got and you just fucking turn it right about right around on him. It was like the classic sort of GOP reactionary style playbook. And to take the fact that this guy was the son of survivors and turn it into Actually, son of Capos uh, is is masterful, <laughs> masterful, yeah. uh, you know, own reversal uh, that Dershowitz did. And again, Dershowitz himself, a Jewish man, also you know, Finkelstein and, and Dershowitz from both from working both both sons of working class uh, Jewish Brooklyn, right? To turn around and say that, I think he understood. Yeah, he knew exactly know. what he was doing. He knew sure. better. He absolutely knew better. And he didn't care. He knew that, like, he, he probably saw Norm at Democracy Matters, I mean, Democracy Now!, and uh, knew that that was the thing that was going to needle him. You know, he, he saw yeah. he saw Norm and said, I can't just, like, you know, use bluster and, and threats and stuff. I got I to gotta get to the heart of, you know, who he is and figured it out. Yeah, and, and I think it was extremely effective because Finkelstein absolutely melts down, right? So Finkelstein starts calling Dershowitz's manager. Uh, all the you know Elena Kagan, you know now now uh, Justice uh, Kagan, right? Um, and asking her to take this shit off the Harvard website, like you're you're letting Dershowitz call my mother a Nazi collaborator on your website. You know how is this appropriate? And Kagan writes back, of course, uh, we we have broad guidelines uh, that permit you know a wide range of academically free speech uh, on the Harvard website, to which. Uh, apparently, after getting you know <laughs> like into some email back and forth, right. you know, sort of quote quote tweet war privately with her, you know back and forth. At some point, Finkelstein says, "So if I were then to publish on your website that your mother was a whore, uh, Elena Kagan, um, would that be okay?" Uh, and Kagan was like, "I'm going to stop talking to you now," right? <laughs> and just started leaving. Started leaving him on read. Right? But as as Finkelstein notes, you know. What's worse, being a whore or being uh, a Nazi collaborator? You know, one's an honorable, time-honored profession, uh, and one is 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 a lot worse, right? So right. even 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 if you don't, I mean, even if you take the worst view of prostitution or something, there's still no. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I went to the dean of Harvard Law School, Dean Elena Kagan, and I says, you know, Professor Dershowitz has that 
on the Harvard Law School website, which is to say it has your imprimatur on it. Don't you think he should have to take it down? That's not a violation of free speech. He has his own website. But on the Harvard Law School website, I know if I did something comparable at my university, in five minutes, you get a call, take that off. So Dean Kagan won't answer me, won't answer me. I finally put to her two questions. Number one, do you think there's any evidence for that claim of his? And number two, do you have any limits on your website about what can and can't be posted? She refuses to answer question one. And to question two, she says, we have broad limits. So I replied and said, well, broad limits does not mean no limits. So for example, Dean Kagan, if somebody posted, a Harvard professor posted on the website that Dean Kagan's mother was a whore, would you have it taken down? Well, at this point, she got really indignant. And she wrote back, I think we'll stop talking now. And some of you are laughing. But really, ask yourself, which is more hideous? Which is more hideous? To say Dean Kagan's mother was a whore, or to say my late mother, after having endured the Nazi Holocaust in its worst, most egregious form, she's now, after her death, having this label pinned on her, which, as I say, I think even people in this room secretly harbor the thought, must be something true to it, that she was a Nazi collaborator. But Dean Kagan won't make him take it down. And that's what makes him possible. Needless to say, uh, Finkelstein was uh, extremely pissed off. Uh, it worked. Uh, uh, Dershowitz was able to put those comments about his mother, which were so foundational, uh, his mother and her story, which were so foundational to, 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 to Finkelstein's own own scholarship and own uh, own own life, uh, and completely uh, smear him in this way. But Dershowitz wasn't done, right? Uh, in 2006, then Finkelstein is up for tenure at DePaul, uh, and Dershowitz uh, decides that that's not going to happen. So begins coordinating a letter writing campaign to DePaul University to block his tenure. Now apparently. Finkelstein's own department unanimously recommended him. A significant majority of the, the department above that uh, recommended him. There were two dissenters, I think. Uh, but ultimately, the president, uh, after, a, after like a year and a half of fighting over this, in mid-2007, uh, overrides the recommendation of, of, of Finkelstein's department, uh, denies him tenure, citing specifically Dershowitz's letter-writing campaign, his classes for 07, 08 are canceled. Uh, uh, Finkelstein's placed on leave. Uh, he, he reaches some settlement uh, of his open contract with DePaul uh, and has not worked at a university post since. He fucking mm -hmm. bulldozed this guy's entire academic career. Yeah, his entire career is just completely gone. Yeah. I've done some thinking about this, and you know I like to speculate about what I think happened here. And the job of the university president is... Far and away, 98%, if not 99 is fundraising, right? That's what you do. Your yeah. entire job is making money for the university. 
Dirsch has connections, big connections. He knows big university donors. And he knows huge, incredibly rich people. And I, I just have to wonder if he was like, look, man, I can, I can make your take for this year a lot easier. Or the, I, I actually assume it's the opposite. I'm going to make it a lot harder if you don't do this. Right, yeah, that, that's probably the right, that's probably the yeah. right way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially because, I mean, you know, there, there's this personal thing on it, but the bedrock of it, of course, is Israel. And, and you know, once you, when you can link your personal petty grievances to kind of this larger political uh you know problem in the world you automatically can activate networks of people that wanted Finkelstein out for completely other re- you know completely different reasons reasons that Dershowitz probably wanted him gone in the first place too he probably was annoyed at kind of a, another you know intelligent academic jewish man uh being the face of, of anti-Israel stuff. You know, he, he didn't like yeah. Finkelstein to begin with. So once you can kind of plug those two things into each other, like it, it becomes a much, much stronger force to be reckoned with. Right. And so the president of DePaul is looking at, you know, on the one hand, I have, you know, regular academic freedom and tenure and the, the otherwise completely unobjectionable normal elevation of this guy to a tenure professor. He has all the marks. This is everything that we normally do. Uh, it's, you know, it's a formality. Uh, and on the other hand, you have this guy's going to make my fucking life miserable or yeah. much easier. <laughs> like, do I want to fight uh, with all of the organizations that he can bring to bear after? You know, do I want to deal with all the other things that happen after I give this guy tenure? What's he going to say next? Yeah, forget it. Yeah, exactly. So when you see when you see Alan Dershowitz online going on about cancel culture and you know people being tried in the court of public opinion and you know uh, uh people are terrified to speak the truth to power and all that stuff uh, and you're and you're tempted to quote tweet him with uh, you know suck my balls or you know some some epic own on him uh just remember uh <laughs> <laughs> Norman Finkelstein had about as good uh a resume as you could have, particularly for a DePaul in terms of public, uh, you know, you know, sheer volume of publications, you know, kind of uh, a profile uh, of some repute, right? He's, he's on, he's, he's in the middle of these high profile uh, uh, feuds even, or he's on these, on radio shows. He's, he's, he's doing, uh, he's doing talks. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, for him to get tenure should have been a formality and, th- and that's over. He doesn't work in academia anymore. Yep. So right. yeah. he's fucking buried. Uh, tread carefully. Uh, you know, maybe maybe leave that one in drafts. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, that's that's a classic sort of story of of Dershowitz uh, and his willingness to kind of put any principle he alleges to have aside uh, simply to vindicate himself all over over the small things. Uh, and we now you know find him in the public eye unwilling to let anything go trying to vindicate him on, uh, vindicate himself on something a little bigger than just getting owned on Amy Goodman's radio show <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, one might yeah. say that I, I think yeah, posting that- is life but kumbaya my lord I might say things that you might not support when do I drop the torch bless my enemies with whom I mop the floor with it's true my thoughts are more bit I'm gonna do my job of course shit can't fit in my shoes, niggas wishing I lose, I'ma get it like who? I 
I done left it all behind me in Cali while yelling goodbye to my family. I had to do a little soul search. All of my demons kept on fighting and scrapping inside of my mind. I was crashing, maybe I was having a growth spurt. They tell me I should go out and mingle, it don't work. I've contemplated on whether or not to smoke perk. Think you sick in the head? Come visit my shed. I live on the edge. Let's jump. Should I go first? Mm, yikes, quite preposterous. White kids soaking up the hype up off it. Hi, I'm hops and I'm obnoxious. I've been talking like the guy from Boston. Watch me rise to top ten. You know what I mean? Ain't no one like me. I'ma turn all of my haters to some overnight fiends. I done made a lot of money from exposing my grief. Flow catch bodies like it's COVID-19, nigga. Bitch, listen, I'm exerting the gas fumes. I'm the asshole who goes to work in the bad mood. Me and my alter ego make a murderous rap group. I'm handing beef to niggas like I'm serving the fast food. I should The biz pass, not a burden, it's past due. Haters wanna laugh at all the hurdles I ran through, but the word on the avenue is now they wanna watch you pee like a fucking pervert in the bathroom, nigga. Ew, yeah, the ladies always tell me I'm a real cunt. These whack motherfuckers, that's a meal. Lunch, on every instrumental, I'ma spill guts and I'm still nuts. Like Robocop scrotum, I'm giving niggas hell, but I really hope I'm not gone. And if I do, I'm pulling up with hoes in my form. While the man above is watching with his coke and popcorn. But I guess I'm a villain, label the strange, label the clown, label the range, label the Someone you might put to shame Label the freak who's unable to change I'm sick in the head, but sick with the grind I am not something you casually find Where's the light? Give me a sign Cause I got way too much shit on my mind I'ma get it all out Kumbaya, my lord, I might say things that you might not support When do I drop the torch? Bless my enemies with whom I mop the floor with It's true, my thoughts are more yeah. I'ma do my job, of course, shit Can't fit in my shoes, niggas wish I not lose I'ma get it like... I've been noticing this shift in the industry. Too many niggas who appear to be gritty, flashing their nice jewels, bragging about some pills and packing a rifle. You just gonna be another rapper to die soon. That's another body off the market. Rigor more to see them beef for police saw the carcass. Some of these niggas really bought it. They gon' show you all the carnage. Now your mama gotta see you dropping slowly on a harness. Shit, it might be me now. I really mean it. The reject that you all love, I ain't he man. Some niggas ain't got a piss and pot they can pee in. They hate the planet, so they come at you looking for revenge. That's why I gotta go to sleep with the non-tuck. Niggas creeping, I fuck it. I ain't leaving survivors. One squeeze of your spine buzzer. Actually, I don't want your dirty corpse on my carpet. Get the fuck out of here. My attitude's that of a Hulk smash. Mix of Tony Montana snoring bags of his coach stash. If it's true that I'm a savage and cold rap, I might as well rock a white jacket and pump.